Hi, I'm Dr. Amy Robbins, and welcome to Life, Death, and the Space Between podcast. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and medium, and here we explore life, death, consciousness, and what it all means. Today, I have Vikas Srivastiv, or Brother V, on the show. Vikas holds an MA in education from Harvard and a BA in sociology from UC San Diego. He focused on school design with an emphasis on student-centered curriculum, creative confidence, and expanded consciousness. Over the last 20 plus years, he has served as a counselor, teacher, and administrator in district, charter, and private schools, including various grades, preschool through college, in both very affluent and economically disadvantaged communities. He currently serves as Directful of Mindfulness at Legacy Early College, a K-12 charter school in Greenville, South Carolina. He supports school-wide integration of mindfulness, restorative practices, trauma-informed interventions, and social-emotional literacy for all scholars, staff, and related adults throughout the K-12 school. Welcome, Brother V. A quick public service announcement before we get into today's show with today's guest. If you have not subscribed to my newsletter yet, please head over to my website, dramyrobbins.com, and subscribe. The newsletter just gives you updates on the guests each week, which you can also see on Instagram. But I'm also going to be introducing some new content to my website that's going to give you more access to me, as well as more access to conversations about the shows and things along those lines and also as a way to support the show, which I know many of you have sort of reached out and said, how can we continue to support this? So just sign up now and those opportunities and information will be coming soon. And now to the show. Hey, super happy to be here. Honored to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. So we are, I just want to kind of date this. We are talking on June 1st. We are in the midst of the protests happening as a result of George Floyd, Black Lives Matter. So that's sort of the context in which we're having this conversation if people come to listen to this at a later date. And I think that's important for people to understand because some of that will probably lend itself or play into this conversation. But I wanted to first start with this concept of mindfulness because we've I've talked about it on the show before, but can you just review it briefly for people if they're kind of first coming in and hearing about it maybe for the first time or kind of what's your take on it? Because I think everybody has a different way of maybe thinking about it. It. Yeah, I, I do think that's a great question and a great question to, to ask whoever you're discussing it with, even if you have a definition, because it does come from a very specific tradition of Vipassana, but it is a branch. And, and so different people have maybe magnified different aspects of it in their own practice, like any practice. And so for me, I'm definitely rooted in the Vipassana approach, and we regard mindfulness as seeing reality as it is. And in seeing reality as it is, there's three main components. The first component is understanding that the degree to which we react, the intensity of our reaction uh, is, is proportionate to how much of reality we're leaving. So however intense our reaction is, we're leaving reality to that extent. So there's reactions versus reality. The second piece is the idea that 
in order to understand the wisdom of a situation, um, often wisdom comes from our struggles. Therefore, the practice of mindfulness is just when we see things as they are, we realize that that which is causing us discomfort, which we want to run away from, is actually our path to growth and wisdom. And so if you can see things as they are without creating an intense reaction to discomfort, seeing it more objectively, then you can begin to see the wisdom in the discomfort versus kind of focusing on the discomfort piece. Um, And the third piece is about mindfulness is when we see reality as it is, we notice that everything changes and everything's impermanent. And so part of seeing reality as it is, is accepting what I call these laws of nature. And so nature serves as the metaphor of truth. It's like, if it happens out in nature, we're going to accept that as true. So I'm an educator. We talk to kids about getting, going to college, getting a job. And the idea is that, you know, you're going to get a job and then you're going to make money and your life's going to be really stable. And then you, maybe you get in a relationship and it's going to be more stable And so everything we do, most of us as adults, as students, is towards this idea of stability. Now you look in nature and there's no proof of that. So this is part of the suffering. We're actually trying to walk towards a goal that does not exist in nature. In the natural world, stability does not exist. There's some stability, but there's quite a bit of change. And so if we look at that, then we begin to think, okay, well, maybe I need to prepare myself for change and not for stability. And so as we, so, so that's why for us, mindfulness is just, you know, having that, having that ability to pause, observe and accept reality as it is not as we want it to be not running away from what it is, but looking at it. So then we can say, okay, you know, there's impermanence, there's death, there's sickness, um, and there's joy and gratitude. There's all this stuff. And how do, how do I want to juggle it all? But, but seeing it as it is without our personal filters, our reactive filters. So the mindfulness piece is sort of taking off the lens. Yes. One part of it is bringing, you know, lessening your reactions, kind of being a little bit more objective and and non-dualist, non, non-dualistic. But the other part of it is as you see things for as they are, you realize, well, the mind, if that's what we want to call it, this thing that exists between what we are, which is maybe consciousness and the physical reality, there's this kind of intermediary interpreter. And as we see things as they are, we realize you can't control the mind. You can't tell a dog to not be a dog. You can't tell a monkey to not be a monkey. And then the mind is kind of both of those. While we're taking off the filter, we're also observing simply, we're understanding that we're not the mind. We're actually something else because we can observe the mind and we can observe these tendencies and kind of just watch it. And so there's no suppression. It's not like I don't want to suppress, I don't want to suppress my excitement. I don't want to suppress my sadness. But I can kind of let the mind, what I would call the little eye, kind of go through it and I can just observe it. Oh, wow, my anger is really building. Every time I meet this person, my anger really builds up. Or wow, every time I meet this person, I get really excited. <laughs> There's a, you know, something like that where we're just kind of watching it. It's, it's kind of like if you watch a roller coaster, the people on the roller coaster are screaming as they go up, as they go down, but you're watching it. You're not screaming. You're seeing, the, you're seeing it go up and you're going to see it go down. So yeah, it's taking off the filter, but it's almost, you're taking off the filter by observing the whole and total picture. Well, and I love that piece about comparing the stability to the natural world. Because even, and what came to my mind immediately was even the most stable parts of nature, right? Like a large tree that looks deeply rooted and planted in the ground. And I just had this experience this weekend where a a huge branch fell off the tree that we would have thought would have been there 
has probably been there a hundred a hundred years, and who would have thought it might have been there a hundred more? And to see that kind of happen and the weakening of the tree, just that's sort of what just came to mind as you're talking about this is that there really is no stability, but knowing that you'll be okay and, and finding that inner wisdom and peace is what comes from the practice of meditation. So I think in the modern application of mindfulness, it's kind of, in my opinion, I don't, I don't, I'm a, I'm a little, I don't know what the word is. I don't care for the approach of kind of the positive redirection because we talk so much about stress reduction, anxiety reduction, and sustainable happiness. There's also a part of the laws of nature that are a little miserable at like change. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Wouldn't it be, I would love, you know, I tell people, I would love to sell you a book, a lotion and a pill. I'd love to sell you a course that keeps you young. Mm -hmm. Is there misery in getting old? Yeah. Ask an old person. Mm -hmm. you, know, it's, it's, you know, is there misery in change that everything keeps changing? Kinda. Yeah. Okay. So this, this is life. Right. It's the accepting what is all sides of it. What, what choice do we have to mm -hmm. not accept it as suffering? Mm -hmm. And people say, wow, so, you know, so we're just supposed to be sad and not have, no, once, once you accept that people can die at any point in time, we have this idea that we came with a warranty. Now, I don't know about you, but I didn't, I don't, I don't know if, if my hospital was racist, but they didn't give me a warranty. I didn't get Mine didn't either. Good. Okay. I won't take it personally then, but they didn't tell me I was going to live for 65, 75, 85. So once we accept that death comes at any time and without notice, we treat people differently. So are you sad about it? No, you actually become quite the opposite. You don't take people for granted. And that's so much the point of my podcast is to put that contemplative thought in your mind every day because it can shift how you are in the world. So how can we be mindful in everyday lives? Because you talk about mindful walking, mindful eating, mindful gardening. What does that look like? Because I, even I sometimes get a little caught up in, wait, but I'm supposed to be gardening and I'm like thinking about, you know, the 12 things I have to do. Come back. I got to be in the dirt, in the garden, planting or eating or whatever your mindful activity is. The term I use is being mindful because I don't believe we ever become mindful. No matter how much we practice, mindfulness is a state of being. No one just all of a sudden like hits this thing where now all of a sudden they're mindful all the time. It's, it's a constant practice, number one. Number two, there has to be the intention. So you know, again, you know, when the mind's natural state is to constantly give itself value. So it's going to, it's got to talk to you, right? So if the mind is quiet, it's like all of a sudden it feels worthless. So it's like, oh, well, we'll look at this and, and look at that. And you remember this and let's think about this and let's think, it's like that pathetic friend that's just got to be in constant discussion with you. <laughs> um, so it's the nature of the mind to do that. I would say first and foremost, if we address our inability to be mindful 100% of the time, if we address it with angst or ambition um, and even maybe aggression or like, gosh, why can't I just be mindful? You know, sometimes we're meditating. Why can't I just meditate? Why can't I just focus? That um, non-acceptance of what we are at that exact moment is actually giving us more work to undo later. So the first step is again observing, wow, 
interesting. I just started thinking about this. I wonder how I started thinking about that. You know, what was it? Was it the soil or the worm or the orange that I was like, you know, the fruit that I was tending to? I mean, what was it that triggered, you know, maybe just kind of like, wow, that's interesting that I just went. And, and part of being not mindful is so important because it's, it's the unraveling, right? The mind has to unravel. We stuck in all these ideas and all these experiences and all this stuff. And then all of a sudden it's like, we want to shut it down. That's not being mindful. Mindful is allowing the body to unravel as it is. Oh, mm-hmm. interesting. In fact, maybe I'll think about it a little bit more. Let my mind even drift more. Let it drift. It needs to unravel. Let me watch that drifting. So there's that piece of it. And that's where I, it's the ease you know, it's, 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 it's including, you know, mindfulness should not be this kind of ambitious, aggressive effort. There has to be ease. When we lose ease, then as you say, you know, as a medium or as a channel, when we lose ease, then we also shut off our, our connection to that inner wisdom now, right? Mm-hmm. It's like bending a water hose, the, the water can't come through. So one part is bringing ease and acceptance. The other part is very simple. And I say, come to your senses. So very easily, what do I see? What do I smell? What do I taste? What do I hear? What do I feel? And what happens is when we come to our senses, we become mindful. So we had a fire drill one day and I was outside supervising as all the kids kind of came out. And one of the middle school kids who I've never met, he shouts from, I don't know, like 50 feet away. He says, brother V, brother V, you know, kind of shouting at me. So it's, it's okay. I'm like, you know what? Don't, you know, don't judge. Just so I walk over there. I'm like, are you calling me? It's like, yeah. I'm like, okay. I'm like, what's up? It's like, I'm angry. And I heard you can help. <laughs> I was like, maybe. He goes, well, so-and-so, and he starts telling me the story. I said, I said, hold on for a second. I said, can you see me? And he goes, of course. I said, what's behind me? He said, a tree. I said, does a tree have wood? He said, yeah. I said, what color are the leaves? He said, green. I said, what's behind the tree? I said, a brick building. So what color are the bricks? He said, red. I said, what's above the building? He said, the sky. So what color is the sky? He says, well, it's blue, but there's clouds. I was like, oh. It's like, which way is the wind blowing? At this point, his friend started trying it to, oh, it's blowing this way, it's blowing that way. I said, how many, what else do you hear? He's like, I hear people talking. I was like, do you hear different languages? He says, yeah. I said, how many? He's like, I don't know, almost three. It's like, yeah. I was like, oh, by the way, what were you angry about? And he said, I forgot, right? So just that kind of what we call orientation, like orienting back to the physical reality. And that's what the five senses do. They can't do anything but orient us to the physical reality. Now, as as we get older, in our minds, we're always young until we look in the mirror. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it's like, oh my God, that's the truth. Right. Right? Or the Zoom. (laughs) Right. So (laughs) So the physical reality doesn't ever lie. Physical reality will put you in time. So one is, you know, have the ease and the observation and the acceptance. The second is come to your senses. And um, the third is always go towards subtlety. We have this addiction to intensity, to always what's loud, what's so obvious. And so mindfulness is developing that discipline and ability to move away from loud sounds and go towards the quieter sounds. Maybe not focus on what someone is listening. Ask yourself, what are they not saying? They're not, you know, not focusing on what someone's saying, but asking yourself, what are they not saying? kind of looking at a blade of grass and really kind of looking into those details, looking at the lines on a leaf, you know, and even if you're looking at your breath, 
you know, looking at the wavering of the breath, the direction of the breath, the speed of the breath, the temperature of the breath, as much as you can get into the details of physical reality, this, this helps you be more mindful. Mm-hmm. Well, so, and it's so clear the way you explain that is how quickly that can get you out of your head. Because it gives your head so much of something else to do. Mm-hmm. When you're observing the details, it becomes very busy, like a child. Mm-hmm. You know, they say a dog is always two years old. Same thing with your mind. Mm-hmm. So can you tell us about the, the mindful work that you do and the impact that you see daily? Because it's yeah. pretty powerful work you're doing. What came to me was a, was a, um, a framework. So I work very much within the framework of the medicine wheel, the Lakota medicine wheel. And I kind of just, that was what just- What is that exactly? I'm not mm-hmm. familiar with that. So the Lakota medicine wheel- uh, different native tribes have different medicine wheels, um, and I don't know about them. I was taught by a Lakota elder only about this specific wheel. It's applicable in a lot of different ways. The foundation of it is it's a systematic process by which we reach a holistic perspective. And so it doesn't place one perspective above another, but in fact really pushes us to look at different angles of anything that we're thinking about or even about our life in general. And so there's four main directions, and then you have the four sub-directions, which gives us a total of eight, um, plus the middle, which is a ninth part of that. So you've got, you know, you've got north, south, east, west, and then you've got northeast, northwest, et cetera, et cetera. So the east is, is, is considered the mental, the south is the physical, the west is the emotional, and the north is the spiritual. So when I do my work, I constantly look at these four aspects and ask, how is my work touching upon each of these? Now, in addition, the wheel always starts in the east. And so when we, quote, walk the wheel or pray the wheel, we begin in the east. So we begin with the mental, which is questioning the question. And then from the mental, we go to the physical, which is um, the embodiment, bringing it back to the body, to the experiential. And then the west is actually holding silence. And the north is integration. So thinking about how to really apply mindfulness in a holistic way just came to me. I said, well, the wheel works for everything I do. Could I possibly fit it? And it took a while. You know, it took a bit of tweaking and experimenting. And what I came up with is um, a fundamental four aspects of what I call the Being Mindful program at our school. So in the East, the mental is theory. And the focus is mental objectivity. In the South is the physical, and that's physical embodiment. Meaning, so you come up with an idea, but then it's only an idea if you don't have an experience of it. So if I tell someone about objectivity, it sounds great. Can I give them an experience of objectivity? Can you give an example of what this looks like? Absolutely. Um, so, so then, you know, so then what I'll do is after I give them the experience, I'll actually have them hold silence. At different time periods, depending on how much time we have. It could be 30 seconds. It could be 10 minutes. And in that time, they're not to talk to anyone. Just hold silence. And then the integration piece is when I say, so how can you use this? The key to our program is this. In the South, we have practice. In the North, we have integration. And what a lot of people do is they have an idea. Like we say, don't bully. Let's even take nonviolence, objective reality. Mm-hmm. Any of these, be non-dual. Be calm. Don't react. All of these ideas. We, me and you will talk about all these ideas, right? And then everyone says, these are great ideas. And then what happens? We go out into the world 
you can't, <laughs> we're hit with everything. It's like I tell people, let me, let me tell you how to play basketball. I'll tell you everything about it. And I'll even show you a video on basketball. But then are you ready to go compete? You know, no, we have to practice. Mm-hmm. So meditation is the practice. Meditation is taking those ideas and then giving someone a physical experience. Here, let me show you to your body, to your cells. Let me show you in your mind what it means to be objective so that when you go out into the world and all of a sudden something starts happening, you know, oh yeah, this is what it feels like. That tension between wanting to react and not react. Oh yeah, I felt that in meditation. This is what it felt like. Can we integrate it all the time? No. We keep practicing, we try to integrate, we keep practicing, we try to integrate, but the practice is the key. The practice is the key. And in, in us, and what it looks like for us is meditation. So uh, we have in-school suspension, which is usually a waste of time. It means you give a kid a bunch of homework and make him sit in a little cubby for the day and it's mm-hmm. torture. So the kid gets in trouble and then the kid goes back to class the day after the same child. I mean, I don't know what they've learned. Except to what in, in our case, what the what I quoted the kids saying is, um, I've learned to shut up and not say anything. Right. <laughs> so right. Um, we're not exactly teaching. So we turned it into in-school seminar, and in that seminar, we do four cycles of the wheel. We start off with um, the first theory, which is reaction versus reality. Then we do a meditation of three to six minutes. Then they have a quiet reflection time, and then integration is how can you use this. Then we go back and we talk about um, growing edge, which is uh, embrace discomfort, grow with ease, E-D-G-E. We call it the growing edge. And then we talk about it and then we meditate for 12 minutes. So in six minutes, no one gets uncomfortable. In six minutes, everyone is in peace. They're like totally observing reactions. It's great. 12 minutes, discomfort starts to settle in. And now they practice. This is what it feels like when I'm asked to just watch my discomfort. Mm-hmm. Again, then they reflect on it for a few minutes, and then we talk about how can you use this. The third one is impermanence. Now we go to 18 minutes. In 18 minutes, not only do they get discomfort, but they actually see themselves getting uncomfortable and then comfortable again, and maybe uncomfortable again, and then uncomfortable again. So now they go, oh, it changes. If mm-hmm. I'm uncomfortable, it won't last forever. Oh, and if I'm comfortable, it also doesn't last forever. So now their body's like, oh, this is what he means by impermanence. The thoughts came, the thoughts went, because over 18 minutes, you'll see that. Mm -hmm. And then the last piece is expanded consciousness, which is um, the theory of particle reality, that everything is made up of smaller and smaller parts and pieces. So then we go to 24 minutes. And in 24 minutes, I take them in a very deep meditation to where when we listen, we're listening to multiple frequencies, like the air conditioner, the high and low frequencies, the wavering. When we listen to the, when we focus on the breath, we're looking at little itty bitty parts of the breath. So they're like, oh, wow, each time I breathe is different. When I breathe out, it's different than when I breathe in. And this is getting them to appreciate the subtlety and to look at the details of physical reality. And also to understand that the world is actually fluid. To the extent that we see solid solidity, we're unconscious. As we see things as they are, we realize everything is fluid. Everything is made up of smaller and smaller parts. When we don't understand something, it's because we haven't broken it down. When we don't understand other people, it's because we haven't broken it down. Because with every single person in the world, you do share common ground. It's just sheer fact that you're people. <laughs> you're of the same biological something category, right? So that's common ground. So then, so, so in the 24 minutes, we, we do that. So that's what it looks like. And that's over the course of about three hours. 
Yeah, it was our kid. Do you find that kids are trying to get in trouble so they could yeah. get a suspension to be in to have this experience now? It backfired in that way. Yes. <laughs> so then we started a weekly advisory where, by choice, they can come for a forty-five minute advisory, and uh, once a week, one for boy, high school boys, one for high school girls, middle school boys. We separate them by grade and gender, uh, gender identity, how they identify, and um, and they get to come forty-five minutes, so they don't purposely get in trouble to. Uh, meditate. So I was reading a, uh, an article that you were interviewed in and you had a couple things I just wanted you to clarify. One was you said the brain is always seeing what makes us fearful, but when we focus more on the heart and that focused breathing, it elicits a more enduring calmness. How, I mean, some of this you already touched on, but how exactly does that translate to calm? So when I talked about coming to, to our senses, to even further simplify that approach, if you always anchor yourself 50% in your breath, you'll constantly be in the present moment. You can't breathe the past, you can't breathe the future. The breath in general is, is, is the ultimate truth. It's the prayer that every living being speaks, regardless of where they come from or whatever they have or don't have. You don't even have to have arms and legs. You don't even have to have sight or hearing. You don't even have to know how to speak a language to say prayer, to read a book. So breathing is, is, has got all these metaphors. And it, as we breathe, is it physical? Yes. Is it happening in the moment? Yes. Can we look at the details? Yes. And what happens is because the breath is the connection between the outside world, which then takes us to the inside world. Because if we follow the breath, where are we going? Let me ask you, breathing keeps us alive. So what part of breathing keeps us alive? Feels like a trick question. It kind of is and it kind of isn't. It's actually very simple. Oxygen. Oxygen is what keeps us alive, so we breathe. But if oxygen keeps us alive by that theory, if I hold my breath, I should be immortal, right? But it doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. Okay, got it. Took me a minute. I have to, I have to breathe out. Mm-hmm. Again, right. we have, have to exhale what you breathe in. We have to let go. Right. You can't hold on. You can't hold on to the oxygen. Mm-hmm. When you say doing this 50% of the time, what does that look like for you throughout your day? It means that for me in particular, very, very specifically, I'm constantly feeling my breath on the tip of my nose, constantly. I I mean, you could feel your breath anywhere you feel it the most in your body. The reason I like the tip of the nose, and if your nose is stuffy, you can do your mouth, is because I feel like once you get past the nose, it's a little bit of imagination. Do you really know where the breath is going? And so I don't, I don't really tie into imagination. I'm, I'm into seeing reality as it is. So if I focus here, the air is coming in here. It's touching the tip of my nose and it's coming back out and I actually can feel that air mm-hmm. coming in and out of my nose. But if you focus on your stomach or your chest, you know, your chest is going in and out. You could, you could focus on that as well. But you should be able to have, it's like, you know, like I tell my kids, don't ever go so far that you can't see me. If we're in a crowd or at the amusement park, you can't see me, you're going too far. Mm-hmm. Same thing with the breath. Don't turn the corner. Don't get so anxious. Don't get so angry. Don't get so excited. Don't talk so much and so fast that you turn the corner and you can't see your breath. So you're just, I mean, obviously now for you, this has probably been, is very integrated into who you are and what you do. But how often are you checking, are you consciously noticing that you're not paying attention to your breath? My, my ultimate goal in life is that when I die, I die mindful and I don't know when death will come. So God help me if I spend my whole life being mindful and the moment I pass away, (laughs) 
I'm not. <laughs> you miss it? So, yeah, you know, there, there's a story in India where there's a, a holy man who chant, who's chanting on the beads, chanting, he's dressed in orange, he's got the dreadlocks, he's got the big beard, chanting, 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 chanting. So much he wasn't walking, watching where he goes. And then what happens? He walks and he falls in a well. And as he falls, he says, O-S-H-I-T, you know? Mm-hmm. That was his last words. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so for me, I don't know. I just, I, anytime I'm not from my breath, I remind myself, you know, I just, it's just, it is, it is my goal and purpose in life, you know, just mm-hmm. at all times, whether I'm, if I'm intimate with my wife, it's the same thing, you know, it's, it's the breath is there. Mm-hmm. And, and that makes the intimacy more meaningful because guess what? I'm there. It brings me to the moment. I'm there with her. If I'm with my child and we're playing, I'm breathing because now I'm with my child. If I'm listening to you, I'm breathing. If we're discussing, I'm breathing. If I'm talking, I'm breathing. It makes me there. It makes everything I'm doing meaningful. Mm-hmm. Are there times I get angry and I don't focus on my breath? Of course, of course. Because the more we practice, uh, you know, the more challenges come to us. So now I'm put in a position where, you know, I have to hear stories from children. I, li- I work in a Title I school in the lowest socioeconomic neighborhood of this city with the highest homicide rate. The stories that I hear from these children and the girls in particular is heart-wrenching. You know, anyone, anyone can facilitate mindfulness. You can go take a three-day certification course. It's not difficult. I can give you a script. You can lead your own meditation. But the parts when you go off script is where your practice is challenged. You know, when, when an when a, you know, 11-year-old girl tells you she was raped by her father or her mother's boyfriend, you know, when, when you truly, when your practice is challenged and the questions come up, when you go off script, that's where your practice is going to come in. That's where the breathing is going to come in. That's where the groundedness is going to come in. That's where the humility of, hey, spirit, can I just hold presence? I don't have a solution. Help mm-hmm. me just hold presence right now. Mm-hmm. Let this child be heard. So when you say the mindful industry wants to sell this as a unique standalone solution. Mm. But mindfulness is nothing more than a bridge to a person's own internal wisdom or spiritual practice. 100%. Can you, can you talk about that? I loved that quote. Because I do think there's become an industry, I mean, there has become such an industry around mindfulness and meditation. And, you know, you talked in one of your podcasts I was listening to about this three-day seminar. You went to this three-day workshop where they were teaching you how to be mindful. So... Mm. It's like, it's like medicine. It's like anything. It's like drugs. It's like, why do we take drugs? Because we want the quick way there. You know, we want the quick way there. So, you know, nobody wants to hear, you know, when, when teachers ask me, hey, do you know, can, can do you have the, you know, and I am developing curriculum. I'm developing it in a way that's modular that people can use it in their own way. But people want like really just fixed answers from me. Okay, pushback. There's a good one. Everyone talk, well, what do you do about the pushback? And I go, gosh, of all the things that I've experienced, I've not experienced pushback. And I've come to realize like, you know, when you get pushback, you're, you haven't practiced deep enough. Because if mm-hmm. the practice is true, it's universal. Go back and practice. You know, if you don't feel like you can guide a live meditation, you need a script, go back and practice. This is harder. This is, this is the work. Mm-hmm. This is the work. Because it really comes from within. It doesn't come from outside of yourself. What's the point? Right. If I tell you something, what's the point? It's me. It's not you. That's not Mm -hmm. the point. See reality as it is, is for you to see your own reality through your own experience. So we don't focus. I never talk about compassion. 
I don't talk about empathy. I talk about breaking things down, which leads to empathy and compassion, but breaking things down into small parts is looking at nature. You can, you can't understand a drywall unless you break it in half and you look at the dirt and dust in it. And then you go, okay, this is what this drywall is made of. You have a brick, you break down the brick. Okay. These are the pebbles and stones the brick is made out of, you know, you examine soil, you break it down. Okay. The soil is from the West coast, the East coast, desert, whatever. This is nature to understand something, to understand human beings. We don't can't understand by the color of our skin. We understand by our DNA, by our cells, right? So we have to break it down to understand it. This is nature. But I don't teach empathy and compassion because in my neighborhood, they're trying to survive. You're going to teach my kid about empathy and compassion? His father just put a gun to his head. Where, where, where do you want to go with this? Mm-hmm. He will come to that place through practice and through his own path. I cannot shove it down and tell him, don't fight and be nonviolent. I tell my kids, there's a time to fight. And I want you to meditate so you know when that time comes because there's a time not to fight. There's a time when you fight and you'll get your butt whooped. And you better be able to see that the person in front of you is bigger than you or has five people with them mm-hmm. and have enough sense and not, not so much ego that you walk away. And I tell the girls, and there's a time when you got to get dirty and you got to kick that person in front of you. You want me to talk about universal love? Love everybody? No, I don't want my daughter loving everybody. No, I want her to have access to her own wisdom because I can't be there for the infinite circumstances that my children and all the children are going to face. What, I want them to come to me each time something happens? And the world is changing. Mm-hmm. What advice would I have for them right now? It's unprecedented. Right. I don't know. So we have to have our own wisdom. So you're, We have to listen to spirit. Right. So you're teaching them to listen to that within themselves. Listen to the quietest sound. Well, that's a perfect place to end. Listen to the quietest sound. So if people want to find you, where can they do that? They can find me at thirdeyepraxis at gmail. Dot com. They can also find me at 7.45 in the morning at the Consciousness and Healing Facebook Live. We do Monday through Friday. I do a live meditation. It's really the same meditation, Monday through Friday. The difference is it's live. And, and collective consciousness is real. So we meditate together. I show up every day. So you show up every day. My big thing is one time um, someone asked me, what does, he said, okay, well, there's no good, there's no bad, you know, everything is just see it as it is. He's like, so what does progress look like on this thing? You know, like when, how do I know I'm getting better? It's a great question. He said, well, when you go to the gym, how do you know you're getting better? You show up. That's it. So really progress on this path is showing up, mm-hmm. meditating, regardless of what the medita- the quality of the meditation. Some days it's agitated some days it's calm sometimes it's a mix that's not important that's just seeing reality as it is sometimes you're gardening your mind goes elsewhere sometimes you're focused on gardening that doesn't matter but you garden every day Mm -hmm. you run every day you know you do your practice whatever your practice is you show up every day like i play drums sometimes i don't want to play drums i just go sit on my drum set for five minutes i show up spend time with it that's what's important is the consistency so you can find me 7.45 a.m. Pacific time at the Consciousness and Healing Facebook page. And I do that so that everyone kind of practice with me. We can practice together. Um, it's just a 12-minute meditation. It's, you know, you should be, I, I think, you know, meditate as long as possible. But it's enough to keep some consistency. Mm-hmm. And we meditate together. So that will all be posted on my, in my show notes. And thank you so much for your time today. Brother V. Yeah, no problem. And, and I've got a YouTube channel oh. coming up really quick. 
Um, and it'll be under third eye praxis. So like if people are interested, I guess, email me and maybe I'll just send you the info and you can send it out to people. Those are just a bunch of short video clips on the framework and explaining it, you know, for people to just do as they will. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Like what you heard today and want to hear more? Wondering what comes next and what it all means? Head over to Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts and hit subscribe. Also, if you could take a minute to rate and review my podcast, I would really appreciate it. Stay tuned as we continue to explore life, death, and the space between. <laughs>